Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. The easiest way to connect with us from right where you are is by downloading our free Real Life Community app from your app store. You can also find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. Everybody say amen. I mean, come on, do we need a message this morning? Uh, let's just do that all day. Uh, man, that's, uh, that's so good because Revelation is so much about uh, worship and being gathered around the throne and along with the rest of creation in the heavenly realms and on earth and just doing what we were made to do. Uh, so very, very good stuff. So we are starting Revelation today. And uh, I have lots of things to say and 20 minutes to say it in, so let me, let me get started. Um, I asked a few people this morning, when was the last time you read Revelation? And it's a mixed bag. Uh, there are some people who are real committed Bible readers, and uh, they're like, yeah, I read Revelation kind of the same way as I read the Chronicles, uh, you know, or like the, the lists of genealogy and numbers or something. Like, I know it's there, I know it's important, but I have no idea what to do with it, right? Uh, maybe you're like me who for many years of my life, it was one of those things that you read because you read through the Bible or whatever, and you're a Christian and that's what Christians do, but, but you read it and it doesn't have a lot of value for you. And so you, because you don't know what to do with it. And so you tend to like hold it at arm's length or for many years of my life, I would just like skip it. Like, I don't like horror movies. I don't like to be afraid. I don't like beasts and monsters and horned things and like all of those things. I don't like that stuff. And so I'm just going to hold it at arm's length. I remember one time several years ago, my mom called me after I'd become a pastor. And so she's asking me all the pastor questions because she's got somebody in her family now she can ask. And so she's like, hey, explain Revelation to me. And I'm like, mom, and this is literally, this is what I told her confession time. I said, just skip it. It's too complicated. It's too hard. And that was me. You laugh. I'm ashamed of saying that at the time. But like I got convicted when I heard myself say that because I thought, I don't know what to do with Revelation. And so that set me on a journey of exploring and reading and prayerfully seeking what is this doing in the Bible? <laughs> and what, what are we supposed to do with this? Um, and what I've found over the years is that Revelation is one of the most inspiring, powerful books that can shape the heart and life of a Christian as we wait on that final day that the end of Revelation describes is so incredibly powerful. Uh, but you have to approach it in, in certain ways. There's lots of ways of approaching Revelation that are really kind of unhelpful. And that's probably how many of us have come to learn how you, you ought to get into Revelation. And so a lot of times we'll come to Revelation and we'll, uh, we'll avoid it or it'll, we'll say it's confusing or it's mysterious or whatever, it's scary. But at some point, you're more than likely to have run into a way of approaching Revelation that 
looks kind of like extended cable TV uh, programming. Like if you've got the antenna, it's like up in the 50s, you know. Uh, and if you're on like direct TV, they don't even carry these programs, right? So these are the two o'clock in the mornings. You'll, you'll scroll along. You'll find, okay, I didn't even realize those channels existed. There's some TV preacher in a basement set up somewhere with his iPhone on a, on a stand. And, and he's, got a, he's got a board in the background. And it's all full of whiteboard uh, charts and graphs and numbers and, and codes. And, and there, these kinds of things equal these things. And if you apply this over this and you, you count the third letter of every sentence and the fourth paragraph and you add those together, then you get the number of a name and it goes to this. And so now if we add all these things together, we know that Jesus is returning on this day and this time. And right, like you laugh because you know what I'm talking about here. This is generally the way that people tend to approach Revelation. Everybody's got an idea of who the Antichrist is. And usually it's whoever's running for president of the opposing party. And usually, you know, you've got an idea of when the start or the end of the thousand year reign is. And usually it's just long enough, you know, for, you know, me to sell some books uh, in order for that to come and get everybody hyped up about it. Or the mark of the beast, you know, everybody's concerned that that's NFC payments in a store, you know, and you're going to get a computer chip or whatever. So like there's all sorts of, everybody's got a theory of what all these things mean. On and on it goes. The theories are endless and they represent this pretty common, but ultimately faulty and unhelpful way to approach it because, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit, because this way of approaching revelation doesn't affect change in our lives. It does a lot of stuff up here. We do lots of mental gymnastics. We think we've got lots of things figured out, but it doesn't affect the kind of change. It doesn't call forth the faith and call forth the hope and move us into faithful, hopeful, obedient action the way that Revelation is meant to call us into. History, by the way, is littered with folks who have tried to approach Revelation as a straightforward timeline to the future, detailing every step along the way down to the date of Christ's return, which, by the way, if you ever come across a book or somebody who's trying to unpack Revelation for you and they say, now because of all these things, we know that Christ is returning this time, you should run the other way from that, right? Because the reality is Jesus already told us nobody knows the day or the hour except for the Father, right? Nobody, not even the Son has that figured out. So the basement TV preachers like don't have something on Jesus on, on that, right? Um, so, or anybody on a stage like me. So uh, if anybody says they've got it figured out, just run the other way. The way of reading Revelation uh, where we try and figure stuff out, that's understandable. It's understandable when we come to it because John says, look, here are the things that I saw and this is what must happen. And so our brains kick into gear with reading the way that we kind of have been taught to read for information purposes. Okay, there's something here that I need to see, that I need to look at, that I need to figure out. And so from a very early age, when we read stuff, typically we go to read, especially in school, we read to gather information, to gain a mastery over a subject, right? So we, we read and we try and memorize dates and we get definitions down and we figure out how to spell the words and we, we figure out what the dates were that the battles took place on and who won the battle and who signed the treaty and we memorize that kind of information. That's how we read history, for example. And we learn, our, our brains intellectually learn to read things in this way. The way we read is an intellectual thing. It's a matter of the head. 
And there's a lot of stuff in Revelation that sounds like that on the surface. And so it can definitely be tempting to read it like that. But it's not meant to be read in the same way that you would read a history book. Revelation isn't meant to be read only with your head as a straight timeline to the future that we just have to figure out. Uh, when you read Revelation, and by the way, this whole message is just kind of a primer for this morning, how to, how to pick this thing up and start reading it. My desire over the next several weeks is that you would actually pick it up and read it in between the services and get ready for the next Sunday and, you know, all those kinds of things. So, uh, maybe a better way or a more helpful way to read Revelation is to think about how you would read something like C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, right? Uh, think about this. And it's not exactly the same way, same thing, but think about when you're reading C.S. Lewis, if anybody's read like the last battle, right? The last book, and, and I'm going to give this away, but he wrote this a long time ago. So shame on you if you haven't read it. So uh, <laughs> spoiler alert, here we go. So C.S. Lewis writes the last battle. And at the end, you've got this lion who wins this victory over a monkey. And what was the other character? Uh, a monkey and a mule who were pretending to be the lion. So this lion comes in, wins the the victory over the imposters. And then this, this lion ends up taking all of the people who had remained faithful to the real lion all the way into a paradise kind of creation. Now, when you're reading this story from C.S. Lewis, you're reading this all the way down to like some of the scenes where the lion uh, sacrifices himself on the, ta- on the stone table and some of these things. You're reading this, you know, this is fiction. And again, not the same thing as Revelation, but you're reading this recognizing there's a story being told here. There's vivid imagery that is calling up something in me. And I recognize that while this story is about a lion and a mule and a monkey that are imposters and things like all these kinds of things, it's about something more at the same time. You with me? There's the images that are going on, but the images are pointing to something much deeper that you can't get to by just like saying something down here. It just doesn't work that way. It communicates on a different kind of level or like maybe you're J.R.R. Tolkien fans, right? For some reason, that was really hard to say. Uh, you're Tolkien fans and, um, and the Lord of the Rings, you know, you've watched those movies, read those books and, and Tolkien doesn't just say like evil is bad, good is good. Like he doesn't do that. He says, you know what? There's this ring, And this ring is full of power and humans or hobbits weren't meant to put this ring on and wear the the ring of power and like love the power so much because if you wear it for so long, it will devolve you into something less than what you were created to be, right? And he could have just said that, but instead he told the whole story with all the image because he knows that that speaks to us on a different level. It does something somewhere down here. Uh, or he could have just said like evil is scary, but instead he had the, the eye of fire uh, that represented Sauron and it scares you to death because that's what evil ought to do down here. You with me? So Revelation can be similar. What these writers are trying to do is to help us grasp deep truths about reality and the nature of good and evil and what it means to be fully human in the world because the deepest deepest truths about reality can't be summed up in factual statements and lists and dates. 
And they aren't meant, the deepest truths in reality aren't meant to stay up here. They're meant to come down here and hit us somewhere in the deepest places of our being. So Revelation isn't a futuristic straight timeline, but it's also not a work of fiction. It's not that. It's its own thing. And we get, we get uh, several important clues about what Revelation is and how to approach it at the very beginning. And so I want to read this to you. If you've got your Bibles, you want to open up your Bible apps, we're in Revelation chapter 1 today. And, uh, and I just want to read to you kind of some things that John says at the beginning of this revelation. He says, verse 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Ah, that's good, right? Uh, and, it's good for you, next. Blessed are those who hear it. And, this is important, take it to heart. Take it to heart. That's, that's what my translation says in the NIV, but I read several other translations and most of them say something like, blessed is the one who hears it and keeps it. Which the, the, the reason the NIV does this is because when you keep something, you take it into yourself, right? You hold it close. You let it affect you on a deep place that ends up coming out in your daily life. So you take it to heart for what is written in it because he says the time is near. So first off, real quick, did you catch this? The, the letter that John is writing is meant to where? It's, where is it supposed to catch us? Here, in the heart. This is where it's supposed to hit us and affect us. Not necessarily up here, but here. He goes on, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Revelation there, verses 9 through 11. So that's Revelation 1, 1 through 3, and then 9 through 11. I want to recap for us a few things about Revelation from these verses. There's three things here that I want us to catch. Number one, it is a prophetic vision. That's what we're going to be exploring together over the next several weeks. You say, well, what is that? Uh, a prophetic vision. It is from Jesus to John. It's a vision. It's a revelation. That's what revelation means. Jesus is showing John something. Jesus is grabbing John. The heavens, like, like we sang at the beginning, let the heavens open. The heavens open up for John. And in the spirit, he gets to see something. So John, this is the John again, who's been exiled on the island of Patmos because of the word of God. 
So he's been persecuted. He's been exiled off to Patmos. The, the rulers, the emperor, the powers that be don't want him stirring up the people in the name of Jesus. So they sent him off to Patmos. And this is where he gets this vision. So Jesus, again, it's a vision showing something to John, which John will try to put into language. Have you ever had a dream that was so vivid? And you wake up from it and you're like, oh man, that just like moved me somewhere deep down in here. And, and like you could, like you can see it, right? And then the minute you start to describe it to somebody else, have you, has this ever happened to you? You're like, I have no idea how to say this, uh, you know? But has it ever happened to you? That's what happens with dreams. Uh, this, I think, is a part of what John, with the help of God, is trying to get over this hurdle. He's saying, I saw something. You can't put this into words but let me try, you know? Like, so, so this is kind of what John's doing. It's a vision and, and, and it's prophetic. So he says, what must soon take place? So it's a prophetic vision of some sort. But I want us to remember something as we walk through uh, this prophetic vision, something about prophecy. A lot of times when we think of prophecy, we think of th people like Nostradamus and things who, who like said, this is gonna happen and this is gonna happen on these dates and this is what it's gonna look like or whatever. Prophecy in the scriptures doesn't function quite this way. It has some things about the future in there for sure, but prophecy in the scripture is not meant to just tell us like who to bet on in the Kentucky Derby or something like that. Uh, it's, it's there to call forth certain kinds of faith and action in the present. So prophecy in the Bible is, hey, this is going to happen. So now you need to act like this, repent or turn to God or be faithful to God or endure or be patient or whatever it is. This is the way prophecy is meant to function in the scripture. So that's going to be the purpose largely of Revelation. Revelation falls into, if you're, you know, Bible nerd or whatever, and you want to know what kind of literature it is, it's apocalyptic literature, which, uh, which uses vivid imagery and these wild scenes to help us understand that God ultimately wins the victory in the end. So number one, it's a prophetic vision. Number two, it's a letter to specific churches, okay? Revelation is not a code book. It's not something that to be cracked. It is a letter to specific churches in a world of violent persecution, John wasn't writing to you or me directly. He wasn't writing to the person who thought that they cracked the code directly. He wasn't writing to the 21st century directly. He was writing initially directly to the seven churches that I named in that time who were undergoing severe persecution under Emperor Domitian, who they were doing things like burning them on stakes as lamps in the streets. They were throwing them to lions in the Colosseum for entertainment. They were being torn apart. They were uh, being given over to all sorts of torture and persecution. John himself had to go through some of these things. They were being crucified in the way of Jesus and, and just brutally mistreated and persecuted. And so much of the imagery in Revelation, this is important, because it was written to those churches, much of the imagery in Revelation is coded language about things that were going on in those days. Okay? Beasts and seas and heads and horns and uh, whores and all sorts of these kinds of things uh, many times are coded language about things that were happening in those days. Number three, Revelation, again, is meant for the heart. These churches didn't need some extra knowledge 
These churches, these Christians that were going through severe persecution, that were wondering who was going to get taken to jail next, who was going to lose their job next, who was going to be blacklisted in the community next. They didn't need to know what was going to happen a couple thousand years down the road in straight timeline fashion. They needed some extra encouragement and endurance and faith and hope and these kinds of things to say, this is not the end. The reality that you're experiencing now is not all there is. There is a greater reality that's going on above and beyond and extends much further than the things that you're going through right now. Jesus is and will remain on the throne, even as the crucified and resurrected lamb who he is. Evil will finally be judged and stripped of its power and destroyed. And there is a God who will finally heal and restore and renew all things. And so this is what revelation was for initially. And so we always have to start there. And that's where we'll try and start. Every message will say, hey, how would these seven churches have heard these words? What would they have been thinking? What would this have been doing in their communities? But it can still, by extension then, be incredibly meaningful for us as well. If, instead of approaching it with calculators and calendars and news clippings of current events, we'll come to it instead with wide open hearts. This is the way that we're called to enter into Revelation. Blessed is the one who hears these words and takes them to heart. Because John and Jesus who gave him the vision wants to do something to our hearts. Namely, he wants to, through our encounter with Revelation, instill in us a deep hope and faith, and endurance, and trust that God who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. This is what Revelation is for. The wedding is still on the way. The wedding is still on the way. Jesus, who is our ultimate and living hope for today, will finally come for his bride, for you and me. And so, can we start our series on Revelation today by peeking ahead to the end. Towards the end of Revelation in the last chapter, we find this verse in 22 verse 17, the spirit and the bride say come. Talking to Jesus. Now I want you to envision this. Why, why is it the spirit and the bride? It's because in the absence of the Son, He has sent the Spirit to reside with us and in us. And so the Spirit is calling right alongside of the bride, come on back, come on. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. And then you skip down a couple of verses and Jesus responds to these words from the spirit and the bride. And it says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And all of the people of God said, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. This is where we're headed. It's going to be a great journey. Would you stand? I want to pray with you.
And then we're going to close out uh, singing together this morning. Let's pray together. Gracious God, uh, we thank you for giving your attention to John as he was exiled, lonely, suffering on the island of Patmos for opening the heavens to him, for giving him a vision that was so powerful to him that he knew that anyone who took it to heart would be blessed by it. that was so important that all the way at the end, he would say, nobody needs to add or take away a single word to this. It's just such a gift to the church. God, thank you for this gift. As we engage with it over the next several weeks, as we read it in our devotional time throughout the weeks, as, as we study it, as we lean into it, as we hold it close, as we take it in, as we keep it, as we bring it into our hearts, May it evoke in us a deep hope and faith and encouragement that you ultimately win the final battle. That your judgments are good and true and that you will return for the wedding. We can't wait. In the name of Jesus, everybody said.